Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Thank you for touching every heart in this place this morning, God. We thank you for the opportunity to come worship you, Lord. To be in your presence, God. We know you're here with us, God. We know you have a plan and a purpose for every single one of us, God. You're a way maker, you're a miracle worker, promise keeper. Nothing can stand against you, God all-powerful, almighty. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place, Lord. Turning hearts to you, God, turning lives around, God. We worship you and we thank you. We ask you to bless this message this morning that we're about to receive, Lord. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Good morning. We have arrived at the third and final part of the series called Waymaker. And I hope you like the song. We've sung it every week. And uh, it is such a beautiful thing to lean into. God says of himself in Isaiah 43, I am the one who makes a way. And it's such a part of who we are as a people of hope that no matter how bad things get, our God is infinitely creative. Amen? And no matter how bad things get, God can still make a way, even if it looks like there's no way things could change. In part one of the series, we looked at the moment where the people of Israel were trapped between the Egyptian army that was pursuing them and the Red Sea. And God did this thing that was unthinkable. He did the thing that the people of Israel probably didn't even think to ask for. He split the waters, and they were able to walk through on dry land, and then all of the enemy was swallowed in that moment. In week two, last Sunday, we looked at how Jesus is the ultimate way maker, that on the cross, he gave himself as a substitute payment for the guilt of your sin and for my sins. Jesus gave himself as the sacrificial lamb, the final and ultimate paid in full last sacrifice for sins. And in doing so, he made a way for you and for me to be clean and to have a relationship with God, not only in eternity, but right now. Jesus is our way maker. Part three, today, we're going to look one more time at one more opportunity to to really glorify God as the way maker. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16. I hope that you've enjoyed reading through the book of Acts this month. I have really, really enjoyed it. And um, this chapter was a few, cha- a few days ago, but uh, hopefully it's still fresh in your mind. Paul is in the city of Philippi. And Philippi is in modern-day Greece. Um, it's just a couple of towns over from Thessaloniki. And uh, you may know of these two towns because later on Paul would write a letter to the Philippians, the Christians there. Paul wrote a couple of letters to the Thessalon- Thessalonians um, in, in the churches there. But here in Philippi, in the book of Acts, we read about what happened to Paul and Silas. And the narrator of this is the person who wrote and pinned down the book 
of Acts, and this is the disciple, the apostle Luke. Uh, This is Luke who wrote this down um, and gave this to us, and so sometimes he'll use the first person about what happened to us, and sometimes he'll use the third person of what happened to them. And so Luke tells us this incredible experience that happens. Luke uh, tells us in Acts 16, starting in verse 16. Let's look at it together. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Time out. What's going on here is that this is a young woman who is being exploited. She is being used as a tool and she was possessed by a demon. And this demon would claim to be able to predict the future. And this demon, this, this young girl, uh, they were being manipulated by some guys who were considering themselves her owner. And they would sort of use her like a carnival act. And they would say, pay us a little bit of money and she'll predict your future. Pay us a little bit of money and she'll predict your future. So this is the person that Paul has encountered, this young girl. And she, verse 17, followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She was shouting this. And if you look in the original language, it says she was screaming this. Following them around from place to place, from conversation to conversation, from from building to building. These men are servants of the Most High God and they are telling you the way to be saved. A demon is screaming this out. And it says there that she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed. Don't you love that? Don't you love it when the the heroes in the Bible get annoyed? You kind of go, oh, I feel a little bit more comfortable because I spend a lot of my week annoyed. Can I get a witness? Anybody else? Okay. Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Time out again. Point out a couple of key things here. It's important to understand that this demon was cast out of this young woman, not because Paul is powerful, but because the name of Jesus is powerful. Paul said, in the name of Jesus, spirit, come out of her. This woman is being used and violated she is, is doing things against her will. You are doing things to her, and other people are, this is unthinkable, people are making money off of the tragedy of this demon possession. It's terrible. And Paul is annoyed with all of it. He's put up with it for long enough. This has got to stop. And he says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her, and the name of Jesus is powerful. And so these people, when they realized they were going to lose their money, That's when they decided to drag Paul, and this word drag means it was violent. They seized them by whatever they could grab and threw them into the marketplace and threw them down, and then they would gather them up again and push them a little bit further until they got to where they were going. The reason they went to the marketplace, this isn't like the outlet mall or the grocery store. The marketplace was sort of the forum. This was a Roman city. It was busy. It was bustling, and the roads would kind of intersect into an open space in the middle of the town, a little bit like a town square. 
But this was the marketplace where all the business of the town happened. And this is where city officials could be found. Basically, these guys who had been violating and using this woman and trafficking this woman, these guys, they, they dragged Paul and Silas and they, they went, let's go find an officer. Let's go find a cop. Let's go find somebody because I'm going to get you guys in trouble. You've just ruined our funding. It's a terrible experience. So they drag them into the marketplace to look for some authorities. Verse 20, they brought them before the authorities and the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. If you look at this carefully, their entire accusation is loaded with buzzwords and code words. We're a Roman city. These guys are Jews. Jews. Trying to get them in trouble. Trying to push some buttons that way. And Paul and, and, and Silas were not advocating customs, but they knew that that's what would stir the magistrates up. So that's what they're saying. They are saying lies about Paul and Silas. These men are throwing our city into an uproar. And they're advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Verse 22. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Whoa. No trial. No chance to give defense. No chance to find out of their witnesses to discern these accusers are telling the truth. Unrest is happening, and the leaders just want whatever's expedient. They just want to calm it down. They just want to get it back under control. And they assume the worst about Paul and Silas, and they order them stripped and beaten with rods. This isn't just stand there quietly while we give you a little spanking. This is beaten head to toe in violent, terrible ways. It actually goes on to say in the next verse, after they had been severely flogged, those idea of the word severely flogged talks about the, the, the extreme beating that happened. There's a good chance they lost consciousness. There's a good chance they lost a ton of blood, but they had open wounds. This was not just a little whipping with a reed. This was a pole. This was just something hard that was breaking bones and cutting skin and taking them down. And afterwards, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. These words are important. He was commanded to guard them carefully. The magistrate looked at the jailer and said, these guys are in your jail, and they need to stay there. And if something happens, I'm coming to look for you. We're in your house right now. This is your jailhouse. You're the jailer. Whatever happens is on you. Guard them carefully. And it says that they were put in the innermost dungeon. They were taken into a place that was in the furthest innermost part of the prison. The jailer put them there in an inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And the stocks were these pieces of wood that had different holes uh, put in them at various spaces. And so there might have been a, a piece of wood with holes this far apart, and, and they would put their feet through there and close up those wooden stocks, and they had to sit in that uncomfortable position for, until they were relieved. 
their feet this far apart or this far apart. It was absolutely uncomfortable. Now, don't forget, they've just been beaten severely. Bleeding, broken, terrible situation. Lied about, thrown in prison without trial. And now they're here. Everything that we can understand about this is the jailer is taking these words about guard them carefully and he's putting them in this inner cell, he's putting their feet in stocks and then he's hanging out right there. A lot of scholars believe he was probably sleeping right outside their cell. That he was not at all gonna leave any room for something to go wrong and for him to get blamed. As a matter of fact, if he were to get blamed, he'd be put to death. It was his responsibility. That'll help us understand some of the things that happen next in this incredible story of our Waymaker. Verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Man. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison, prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. A couple of notes here. When the earthquake came, the best understanding is, is this wasn't one of those earthquakes that took down walls and caused the roof to cave in, but in God's creativity, in God's finesse power, in God's just getting right to what needed to be touched in the laws of physics, there was enough shaking that all the cell doors got open. How cool is that? And there was enough shaking that the chains that were driven in by nails into the walls of the jail cell, those those were shaken loose. And everyone's chains fell off the walls and they were free. The doors flew open. We don't think the walls collapsed in and they were looking for survivors. We don't think the roof collapsed in or anything like that. It was this tremor that was just enough, just enough that it needed to be to get them loose and to open the doors. Paul and Silas were singing hymns and praying prayers at midnight. Feet in stocks, bleeding and broken. Maybe even trying to sing with a swollen lip sitting there in the darkness, singing praises to God, singing about his faithfulness and his power, singing about his goodness, more than likely singing a psalm. Some scholars believe that they were probably singing something from either Psalm 113, like through 118, somewhere in there, about the goodness and power and faithfulness of God. It is a beautiful thing when God's people sing of his goodness in the middle of their brokenness. And it says other prisoners were listening. They knew the stories. They knew what had happened to these guys. And these other prisoners were paying attention at their response in the middle of great suffering. So the prison doors have flown open and everyone's chains have come loose. And the jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're still here. We're still here. You're okay. (laughs) We're still here. And the jailer called for lights 
And he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Why did he call for lights? So that he could see that everyone was still there and he could see the doors were open and he could see the chains had fallen down and the people could have run away. Paul and Silas could have run away, but he could see with the lights that everybody was still there and he fell before Paul and Silas trembling. Something miraculous had just happened there. It fell before him trembling He then brought Paul and Silas from out, out of this inner dungeon, this inner cell where their feet were in stocks. He brought them out and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You need to believe and so does your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house, shared the gospel with the jailer and his household. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. They had not had their wounds treated since the time they were beaten. He washed their wounds, and immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy. Amazing. Minutes earlier, he was suicidal in fear. And now he's filled with joy. Why? Because his job was safe? Nope. Why? Because the prisoners hadn't run away? Nope. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. If you're here this morning and you are desperate to know joy in your life, It's not going to come when your job takes a turn. It's not going to come when your ship finally comes in financially. It's not going to come when you find that special someone to date or to marry. If you want lasting, deep, satisfying joy, it's only going to come through a relationship with God. It's the only source of lasting satisfaction and true overflowing joy. It's through a relationship with God. I love the response of Paul and Silas in a terrible set of circumstances. They were lied about. They were mistreated. The justice system let them down. And then they were beaten terribly, severely, and left in stocks in a terrible dungeon all the way in the inner part of the prison. Prayers and hymns. God made a way. I want to walk us through some things through this passage, but first of all, I just want us to to be reminded that God is a way maker. Amen? God is a way maker. In this story, we see that he made a way for peace in their hearts and in our hearts. You have to be at some level of peace if you are going through those circumstances and at midnight, that's what you're doing. If you're singing hymns and praying at midnight, there's gotta be some supernatural peace going on in your heart. Not cursing the enemies. Not trying to pull at your chains to see how you can get out of this. Not cursing God. But he has made a way for us to know peace even in the darkest set of unfair, terribly painful suffering. And God has made a way through worship and prayer 
for others to see our hope. God has made a way through worship and prayer for others to see our hope. Do you realize that when you gather here on Sundays and you sing these songs, that is who you are, that is who you are, and you confess that and you believe that, and you're not just a spectator, but you're engaging God in worship and you're affirming his greatness and you're loving him and putting your faith in him and letting faith rise up to him, everyone else in the room who's observing you worshiping is encouraged. And their faith that was starting to sink a little bit is buoyed and brought her to the surface as you worship the Lord. As you pray, as you pray publicly and privately, and as you pray in groups, and as you pray over a meal, and as you pray with your family, as you pray in all those moments, and you talk out loud about your faith and what God can do, pray gives other people hope, and it lets them see where your hope is. God is a way maker. Let's walk through four things this morning out of this story that I believe God wants to use to challenge our hearts together as we look at our way maker. Number one, Paul's faith was bigger than his circumstances. Paul's faith was bigger than his circumstances. There's a temptation in these kind of moments when it's unfair and somebody's lied about you and then you've been beaten up and mistreated and things have gone from not so bad to horrible. There's a temptation in those moments to grumble and to shout out your sense of this is unfair. And maybe some of you in the room right now, your circumstances are hard. They're difficult. And it's this no joke. He was flogged severely. Paul and Silas both were flogged severely. They were lied about, thrown, dragged, cast into prison. You, what you're going through right now is legit, just like theirs. It's wrong. It's unfair. It's painful. Maybe you've suffered a loss. Maybe you've been lied about. Maybe somebody else has, has kind of stepped over you at work and, and mistreated you. Maybe you've been um, cheated on. Maybe all kinds of horrible things have gone on, and they are legit. But the call on the people of God this morning is that no matter how hard your circumstances are, let your faith be bigger than your circumstances. And it's so tempting to complain and grumble about the unfairness. Paul could have complained. Listen to what Paul could have complained. I'm here right now, and I'm really only here because I did something right. I did actually something good. What did Paul do good? He rescued this girl. Paul had rescued this girl who was being trafficked and mistreated because there was a demon in her. He, he set her free from these guys who considered to, themselves to be her owners. Oh my goodness, Paul did something good. Paul did something even better than that. He, in the name of Jesus, cast this demon out of this young girl's life. Oh my gosh, he did something right. And it would have been so tempting in the middle of the night, at midnight, not to be singing hymns and prayers, but to be saying, how is this my story right now? I've been doing good things. Anybody else relate to that? It's tempting God, have you not seen what I've done? Have you not seen how I've said no to these temptations? Have you not seen how I've tried to do good and step in and help and assist and give and sacrifice? Have you not seen? Have you not seen? Have you not seen? Don't we have an equation relationship here? Uh, no. 
it would have been tempting for Paul to say, I, I did something right and good. It would have also been tempting for Paul to say, those people lied about me, and he would have been accurate. God, why am I suffering right now? And those people who lied about me, those owners of that girl, those filthy, horrible, despicable, mistreating people, they're sleeping soundly in their beds tonight. How's that fair? It would have been so tempting at midnight to complain and grumble about it all being unfair. Paul could have also said, why do I have to suffer when other people don't? Why does all this happen to me? But Paul's faith was bigger than his circumstances. Paul was not laughing and joking that flogging and feet in stocks in the dungeon is no big thing. Paul was not lying to himself and to other people saying, oh, this is a happy moment. Nope, this was hard and painful and brutal and bloody and terrible. But his faith was in God. Prayer itself is an act of faith. I believe there is a God who can do anything, and I believe he hears me when I pray. I believe he can get me out of this. I believe he's a way maker. Paul's, Paul's faith was bigger than his circumstances. Number two, Paul's response to hard circumstances was worship and prayer. Let that be a lesson to us. Paul's response to hard circumstances was worship and prayer. When you find yourself falsely accused, when you find yourself mistreated, when you find yourself just in some, just some, some sorry, wrongful suffering, painful suffering, instruct your soul to trust God. Paul's response was worship and prayer. Now, I actually don't think this moment at midnight was a new habit for Paul and Silas. I bet they were people of worship and prayer every day, even on the days they weren't thrown into a dungeon. And if you want your reflex to be worship and prayer on the dungeon days, you need to make worship and prayer a part of your life on the non-dungeon days. When the dungeon was part of the reality, their daily love of God and trust in God came out. I don't think this was a new habit for them. We praise God when the sun shines and we praise God when the rain won't stop. Hello? We praise God when the sun shines and we praise God when the rain won't stop. That's who we are. Because our faith is bigger than our circumstances and we want to respond like Paul and Silas. What in the world kind of prayers was he praying at midnight that caused the cell doors to open? <laughs> By the way, I, I, this is just me. We're speculating here. We're speculating on all these ideas of what kind of prayers they were praying. But my goodness, I probably, I don't, I don't think he was praying prayers for an earthquake. I don't think he was like, God, you hold the laws of physics in your hand. If you would just shake the room a little bit. All those pins that are holding into the chains into the wall, those would just wiggle out. The doors would just judge a little bit and just pop open. 
bring an earthquake, God. Not a big earthquake. We want the walls to still stand. But just, I, I don't know what he was praying. Nobody knows what he was praying. But listen, Paul's prayers move the heart of God to respond. And I want to ask this morning, what kind of prayers are you praying in your suffering and in hard circumstances? And that's not one of those gotcha, make you feel bad kind of question. It's just saying, are you praying Godward prayers? Or are you praying self-centered prayers? I'm going to speculate a little bit and guess about some of the prayers Paul and Silas might have been praying. They might have been praying for their enemies because that's what Jesus told us to do. Not against their enemies, but praying for their enemies. They might have been praying for the other prisoners around them. I don't know what this girl's in here for. I don't know what this guy's in here for. I'm praying for them right now, God. Help them to sleep tonight as they lay on the stone floor. God, heal up their wounds. God, do away with their infection. God, help their bones to heal up. God, get, give them favor and blessing and set them free from this jail. God, cause their family to be at peace tonight because their loved one is in jail tonight. I, I'm speculating that these, some of these prayers may have been for others. It could have been that they were just saying, God, we love you when the sun shines. We love you when the rain comes. We love you in a warm bed. We love you when our feet are in stocks and we're bleeding in a dungeon. We just love you. Our love for you, God, is not based on our geography. Our love for you, God, is not based on our circumstances. Our love for you, God, is not based on how hard the day is. We love you. We love you. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And I want to invite you and call you and challenge you. If you're in a tough place right now, call out to the way maker. Believe in his infinite creativity. He can do anything. He can make the walls shake just enough. Or he can make the seas split open. Or he could take a Roman method of execution and capital punishment and turn it into the altar that changes history. He can do anything in your circumstances. Pray to your God. Love your God. Let worship rise out of your dungeon. Let faith rise out of your dungeon. Let love for him on the good days and the bad days equally come from your heart. Number three, Paul's hope and his peace became a sermon about God. At midnight, not complaining, not shouting how unfair this is, but praying and praising. That hope and that kind of peace in the middle of the dungeon, that became a sermon about God. The other prisoners were listening. And our best understanding is the jailer didn't leave the jail and go back home. As a matter of fact, when all this happened, he was right there. there he was right there to, to look at the jail. He was probably sleeping just outside the door. He was right there. Everybody was listening. And how Paul and Silas reacted 
in their suffering became a sermon about God. Friends, when you're suffering and going through hard circumstances at home or at work or in your marriage or in your relationship with your parents or on your team or with your coaches or wherever you are with your classes, whatever you're doing, whatever hard thing you're going through right now, whatever suffering you're going through right now, don't forget that other people are observing you. And they're watching a couple of things in this moment. They, they, are, they are watching who you are in the midst of the hard times. And God, they're, they're not at all turned off by your hope and peace in the middle of suffering. As a matter of fact, they envy it. So don't be afraid to express your hope and your peace in your suffering out loud. Paul and Silas did. In the middle of their dungeon, they prayed in the middle of their dungeon, they praised. Let's do that. People in our world are lonely and disconnected and without hope. And if they meet someone who can pray and praise even in a dungeon, they're going to say, where'd that hope come from? What do you know that I don't know? Who do you know that I don't know? Don't suffer in silence. And if God's word has made a difference to you in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your loss, in the middle of your heartache, in the middle of your fear, in the middle of your betrayal, in the middle of your false testimony given about you, in the middle of your beating or suffering or pain, whatever it is, if God's word has been meaningful to you in that, tell somebody about it. Live your faith in God out loud. Bring your hope and peace out loud because other people need to see a Christian going through hard things, they need to see a Christian continuing to trust God. You talking about how things are going in the middle of your suffering, that turns nobody off. You know what turns other people off is legalism and judgmentalism and religion. But you saying this goes up there as one of the worst chapters of my life, one of the worst years, one of the worst months, one of the hardest days, one of the hardest seasons, one of the most difficult experiences. But even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. That's who he is. Tell your friends about it about the peace and hope that are yours in Christ, even in the middle of your dungeon. Post about it. Post the songs, post the lyrics, post the scriptures. Anything that God gives you that causes faith to rise and hope to rise in the way maker, share that out loud with other people. How are you waiting in your hard circumstances? Other people are watching how you respond and how knowing Jesus makes a difference in your life. Oh, you're a Christian. Great. You go to church. Great. You're one of those. Great. And then the bottom falls out for you. Do they see you full of faith? Do they hear you full of praise? And not, this is unfair. Do they hear you praying for enemies? or gossiping about those enemies? Do they hear you hoping in God?
The way you handle your dungeon becomes a sermon about the difference Jesus makes in our lives. And we have to instruct our souls. It's hard and it's painful and that's real and that's legit and we're not putting on a fake smile and pretending like it's not hard. It really is difficult. It really is hard. It really does hurt down deep. But that's when we have to instruct our soul not to pretend everything's okay but to take all of our longing and all of our woundedness and all of our uncertainty and lift it heavenward. Because if you put it inward and say, this is, not un- this is not fair, and I've been doing things right, and I've been trying to do the right things, and, and they said bad things about me, and I'm only him- here because of them, and it's not right, and this should happen to them and not me, and all those things. If you do all of that, then they will, that will, the other people who are watching your life will simply see you reveal that you're not much better off than they are. But in the darkness of your dungeon, if your longing and need and hurt goes heavenward, oh God, this is the worst. This is so hard. This is painful. This is brutal. Oh God, but I trust you. I trust you. Then the people watching your life say there's something different here. They're calling on one who is strong when they're weak. They're calling on one and hoping in one to come to the rescue and make a way when there is no way. If God leads you through suffering, through difficulty, through hurt, through longing, he's given you an opportunity to preach a sermon about the difference Jesus makes in your life. Instruct your soul to hope in God out loud. Last one, number four. In the dungeon, Paul shows us beautiful trust in God. In the dungeon, Paul shows us beautiful trust in God. And I I, I want to... Uh, lead us this morning into some specific ways that you and I can show beautiful trust through prayer. Because I think prayer was part of the way-making experience here. Prayer as a response to the hard things was a part of the way-making. So how should you and I pray? I want to lead you through a few things this morning. I'm going to give them to you. They're going to come up on your screen. The first one is this, prayer of trust. The first one is I believe you see everything that happens to me. I believe you see everything that happens to me. Paul and Silas, their feet in stocks, chained up in the innermost dungeon of a Roman prison in the city of Philippi. They were trying to do what is right. They were falsely accused. They were mistreated, not just by a couple of people, but by a crowd, dragged mistreated, stripped, and flogged severely and thrown into the dungeon. And in this moment, they, they have this understanding, we don't need to inform God of what's happened recently. Because I believe God sees everything that happens to me. 
That's trust. The second one, I believe nothing can happen to me without your permission. This is our confession that God is sovereign. That's a Bible concept, a theological concept. It's a Christian concept that says God is the ultimate authority, that he has uh, ultimate rule and reign, that God doesn't have to check with anybody. There's nobody that limits God's ability to do anything. He is eternally and infinitely free. That's what God's sovereignty means. If he wants to do something, he can do it. He doesn't have to check or wait or do anything. He's just free to accomplish anything. He can do anything. He's sovereign. He's over all things. So there's never a moment when what happens to you was something that snuck by God. There was never a moment where God says, oh, like, I'm sorry. I was like, I was in the backyard and when that happened, sorry. There's never a moment when, when, when you can think, well, God was taking a nap. There's never a moment when you think, well, something else was too powerful. God couldn't do anything about it. There's never that moment. So this is beautiful trust. These are these dungeon prayers. Beautiful trust. I believe you see everything that happens to me, and I believe nothing happens to me without your permission. It goes through the filter that you have as my father. That's trust. I believe nothing happens to me without your permission. Number three, I believe if you allowed it, you have a purpose for it. This is grown-up faith. This is mature faith. If you allowed it, you have a purpose for it. So God, this is hard, this is bloody, this is brutal. I am broken, I am aching, I have tears. I am in a hard, hard, hard place. I believe, I believe you see it. And I believe nothing got by you. Nothing happens without your permission. And I believe if you allowed this, then you've got a purpose for it. That is hope and faith rising. The next one, I believe my best response is to trust you out loud. Let these be the prayers that we pray when the days are hard, when the dungeons are real, when things go sideways, when it really is unfair, when we're hurting. God, my best response to this, to you, is to trust you. Because you're the God who parts waters. You're the God who completes all sacrifices. You're the God who shakes jail buildings with finesse and power. And I'm going to do that out loud because that's going to lead me to my last prayer. Lord, do something in my suffering that will let others see your power so they can believe and hope in you. Lord, do something in my suffering that will allow other people to see your power 
so they can believe and hope in you. This isn't just the prayer of, get me out of here. This isn't just the prayer of, that was wrong against me, so fix it, God. Make them suffer. This is a prayer that says, redeem the suffering. This is a prayer, God, that says, I believe you make all things work together for good, even dungeon things. Make this work together for good. So you look at these prayers, you, you, you look at these dungeon prayers, these prayers of trust, how beautiful would this be if we had this faith and peace? And I believe that if you will pray these prayers, it will put your heart at peace. If you will pray these prayers, it will rise up as worship to God. It will be, oh, look at my child. They're going through what they're going through, and this is the response of their Christ-changed Heart, it's trust, and they're asking me to let their suffering result in something like happened for the Philippian jailer. All these prisoners were listening, and the jailer, realizing that he didn't have to kill himself, and realizing that Paul and Silas and everybody, they were still there, his response was, says he fell, fell before them trembling. His response was, what must I do to be saved? How do I know the one you know? I've heard you calling to him. I've heard you trusting in him. I've heard you singing to him. How do I know the one you know? Oh, this pleases the heart of God. If you and I could pray, Lord, even in this hard thing, let other people see something about your power and your faithfulness that leads them to believe and hope in you. If you're going through suffering right now, if you're going through something hard right now, God sees you. He cares about you. And he absolutely has all the power he needs to do something about it. And he can be really creative. Are you waiting in trust? Are you responding to suffering in prayer? Are you turning your dungeon into a place of worship? This is the way God's people give witness. And this is the way we live our lives. Oh Lord, if tonight I end the day in my bed warm and cozy, blessed be your name. But if today I end my day on the cold floor of a jail cell, falsely accused, mistreated, blessed be